Uh, We'll be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. Uh, Before we get to our passage, I want to ask you, have you ever been in the presence of someone, especially someone maybe famous or well-known, and you didn't know who they were? This has happened to me several times, actually. I'm kind of dense that way. Um, But one of the times that I remember this happening is when I was invited to a special event here in Pittsburgh uh, that was to support orphans in Haiti. Uh, It was an evening to kick off uh, the Max Talbot Foundation's support uh, for this work that was going on in Haiti. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, hockey, Max Talbot is a much-beloved Pittsburgh Penguin. Uh, His personality was something that endeared him to fans, but it was probably the fact that he scored the game-winning goal to secure the Stanley Cup in 2009 that makes him most endeared to to fans. And so I went to this event, but I got there a little bit late, and I rode the elevator up to the floor that I was told to go to where the event was taking place. And when the doors opened, I didn't realize this, but the elevator doors opened right into the room. There was no waiting area, anything. You just walked, it opened up, and it was kind of this, you know, penthouse kind of big room. You walked out, and you're, you're there. And so I realized that I'm late. Everybody's already seated, and I just, I kind of panicked and just kind of took the first seat right inside the elevator. And so I sit down and I kind of glance at the guy next to me and kind of give him a nod like, oh, sorry, I'm late. And, you know, and I'm sitting there. And uh, after people shared about the orphanage and the work they were doing in Haiti, they asked everyone to stand and grab the hand of the person next to you and join together in prayer for the work that was happening in Haiti. And then After the prayer, there was a short intermission before Max Talbot was going to come up and talk about how he got involved and the involvement of his foundation in this work. And so I turned to the guy that I sat down next to quickly that I had previously kind of given a little head nod to to say, I'm sorry, I'm late. And the guy had just held hands with while we prayed. And I said, hi, nice to meet you. My name is John Price. And he said in a French-Canadian accent... Nice to meet you, John. I'm Max. <laughs> I'd been sitting next to Max Talbot. I had just held Max Talbot's hand. There probably aren't too many men in Pittsburgh that can say that. <laughs> and it was as soon as he started talking, right before he said, I'm Max, that I had this feeling <laughs> in my gut that this guy I had been sitting next to and holding his hand was Max Talbot. It's a fun memory and a good story. And it kind of reminds me of our text this morning. We find a couple of people who don't know whose presence they are in. Someone even much more famous, much more important than Max Talbot. While something unmistakable happens in his presence that helps them to realize who this person is. Let's read Luke 24, verses 13 through 32. But on the first day of the week, I'm sorry, uh, begin at verse 13. That very day, it was still the first day of the week, uh, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, 
looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to, the, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word made flesh in Jesus Christ, that he is risen from the dead, that he lives and reigns with you, one God forever and ever. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, just as these first disciples were given on the road to Emmaus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, you might expect that we were in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, the uh, account of the resurrection of Jesus, and we were marveling at what happened. We were asked the question from the text, are we resurrection knowers or resurrection marvelers? We saw that the resurrection of Jesus turned skeptics and betrayers into marvelers. And this morning... We are still on that resurrection day, the first day of the week, but later in the day. And the two disciples, Cleopas and another unnamed disciple, possibly Cleopas's wife, are heading to Emmaus, a little town about seven miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus finds them depressed, full of dread, and with slow hearts on the road, and he strikes up a conversation this conversation will eventually lead to these disciples knowing and seeing Jesus in a new way with their hearts burning inside them. And so as we come to our text, there's a question for us to answer. Do we have slow hearts or burning hearts? Does the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection lead to our hearts burning inside us? This is not heartburn we're talking about here, right? Right? 
but a burning sense of a new reality through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection lead to our hearts burning inside us? The main point of our text is that because Jesus died and rose again, gospel hope burns within us. Because Jesus died and rose again, gospel hope burns within us. And we see that in two ways that work simultaneously together. Scripture being fulfilled and the breaking of bread. First, we look at Scripture fulfilled in verses 13 through 27. We read that these two disciples uh, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Um, we're not exactly sure what the, where this town was or uh, other than the, the distance from Jerusalem. Uh, there's speculation over that. But they were on their way to this town. They were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And they were discussion was a great dismay and sorrow. And Jesus approaches and asks them what they're talking about. And you can kind of almost see this scene in your mind, right? Jesus approaches them, asks them what they're talking about, and they just stopped. And the text says they stood still and looked sad. Right? This man coming up to them asking them what they're discussing has brought once again this feeling of dread, of sadness. It's almost a, a look of incredulous sadness, you could say, had come over them. How could anyone who had been in Jerusalem this week not know about what happened to Jesus? So Cleopas then explains to this uninformed visitor all that had happened in Jerusalem that week to a man called Jesus, who they believed to be the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would redeem Israel. He explains that these things didn't happen in a corner, that they were known by everyone he then proceeds after he's explained to Jesus all that happened about Jesus of Nazareth being mighty, indeed a prophet before God and all the people, our chief priests and rulers delivering him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. He goes on to explain that we, some women from our group went and found the tomb empty and they had this wild story of an empty tomb and angels speaking to them and and then others from our group went and confirmed that the tomb was empty, but we did not see. And Jesus gives them this rebuke, uh, calls them foolish and slow of heart to believe the scriptures. And you might think, well, Jesus is rebuking them, and then he's like... See ya. Guess you guys <laughs> didn't, didn't get the memo, didn't figure it out. I'm on to the next ones. No, he doesn't leave them. Because kind of don't we often think that about ourselves like or others? Well, we missed it. They've missed it. They didn't, they didn't get it. So I guess 
Jesus is just going to like pass them on by. But he doesn't leave them. He comes to them. He actually goes with them. And he begins to open up the scriptures to them. The disciples are led through this process from skepticism. I mean, they are skeptical, right? I mean, they are what we saw last week. They are skeptics through and through. Jesus has died. The one who we thought wasn't it. It wasn't him. He let us down. The disciples are led from skepticism to faith in Jesus as the Messiah through his passion and resurrection, through his death and resurrection. Right? As they began the journey, it is apparent that they completely failed to understand the passion and resurrection facts. Right? They, they recount exactly what happened, and in nowhere in there do they have a clue that this is what actually had to happen. But Jesus, in verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Right? Jesus points out to them, this is what has been uh, prophesied and told about in Moses and all the prophets about me. This is what had to happen. This is what the Messiah had to do. It's interesting, in, in verse uh, 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing it, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. You know, up until this point in chapter 24, Luke has continually, remember this as we've gone through Luke, used the, the, the phrase to draw near to refer to the gradual movement of Jesus toward his death, his passion in Jerusalem, where his, where his death and resurrection would take place. And now that the kingdom has arrived through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus draws near to the Emmaus disciples to reveal himself by opening the scriptures to them. By, make, by eventually making himself known in the breaking of the bread. But he draws near to these disciples. As he had drawn near to Jerusalem, now he draws near to all those Skeptics, betrayers, the unconvinced, even disciples who might be confused and misunderstand. Jesus draws near, and he draws near through his word. You notice that? Like he draws near through the word of God that he has breathed out and spoken in time past, that he has lived out in the flesh, that he has spoken through the, his ministry, right? This isn't the first time that he has said that the Christ must suffer these things and before he enters in his glory. 
Jesus over and over again, at least six times in the Gospel of Luke before his death and resurrection, had said that this is what was going to happen to him. Jesus opens the Scriptures to bring gospel hope into their hearts. But it's not just through him opening the word of God, to interpreting it for them. It's also in the breaking of bread, verses 28 through 32. Right, this exegetical lesson in hermeneutics, this, I mean, you can imagine, this was probably was one of the greatest sermons ever preached. <laughs> right, these, and it was only to two disciples. <laughs> Right? It wasn't before thousands and thousands. It was before two disciples where Jesus, walking along the road, just started preaching and teaching all that Moses and the prophets had said. Can you imagine that? You're walking around and Jesus is taking passages of Scripture that you had memorized as a kid, that you had heard in the synagogue, that you had heard in the temple, and he's taking these passages of Scripture and he is making them go boom, exploding in your mind, causing your heart to burn because I hope this is true and real. He is giving this amazing sermon. And yet, by itself, it did not enable them to recognize the presence of the risen Jesus. His instruction was a necessary necessity, but Luke says that it wasn't until that word placed in context with the breaking of the bread that Jesus was recognized. The breaking of bread in Jesus' life is, we, we see this, the same phrase in the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to them. Same thing that we read just a few chapters earlier in the Lord's Supper. Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to them. It's the same exact terminology that Luke uses in these other two instances that he uses here. The teaching was complemented with the meal. It was an unmatched sign of self-revelation, the breaking of the bread and giving it to them. The teaching was complemented with the meal. But the meal by itself wouldn't have been enough either. The meal must be received with the knowledge of the word of God, which furnishes the proper understanding of the passion and resurrection that Jesus taught and preached to these two on the way to Emmaus. Luke states in verse 35 that Jesus recognized in the breaking of the bread, which is... In Luke's parlance, a reference to the Lord's Supper, the first in the feeding of the 5,000 in his Passover meal and here in Emmaus. Luke is helping to convey to Theophilus, remember the, the guy that, that funded his, his research project to go and see if these things actually happened as they had been taught 
and to all those who would read his gospel, he's helping to convey to us that the certainty came to the disciples in the sharing of scripture and in the breaking of bread. And that would happen not just for these two disciples, but for disciples from then on until Jesus comes again. Right? This experience with certainty that they had heard in the scriptures in the context of the church breaking of bread is where Jesus shows up. I'll put all my cards on the table here this morning. I wish that we practice weekly communion. For those of you who that might freak you something out, just bear with me for a minute. An elder uh, is no longer part of our church once asked me why I thought that was important because I've shared that before with our session. And I gave reasons. I said, well, Jesus commanded us to, to do so. Paul said every time you gather together, the early church, it was a part of their regular practice. What I failed to see then was what our text is showing us today. That in the meal, we see Jesus. Do you see what Luke is doing here? The meal is the physical reminder of the spiritual. A lived out scene of what we teach and hear. Right, the Lord's Supper, this breaking of bread where Jesus is seen is closely and inextricably combined with the teaching, the, the preaching of the word. Right? I mean, Luke is clear to say that even as Jesus opened up the scriptures to them, preached probably the greatest sermon ever preached, they still didn't recognize him until he broke the bread and gave it to them. These two things, Luke is saying, go hand in hand. We hear and our hearts burn within us when God's word is opened up and we see Jesus in his word, but we don't recognize and see Jesus fully until the bread is broken and given to us. Right, because the gospel is not merely just an ascent of intellect. It is not merely just a spiritual reality. The gospel is a physical reality as well. Jesus physically took on flesh. He physically died. He physically rose from the dead. He physically, in human form, sits at the right hand of God. And when we come to the table, we're reminded that the gospel that we believe, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not merely something spiritual. It has physical dimensions and reality. It is the body and blood of Christ. We don't believe that anything magic happens in, in the supper, but it is the body and blood of Christ given for us. And so in the meal, in the Lord's Supper, we see Jesus. We begin to know him 
in a new and even deeper way. And for this, these Emmaus disciples, this meal inaugurates the meal fellowship of the early Christian communities. As I said, we see that in history. Luke will record in Acts how Christian communities will gather on the first day of the week to break bread. His term for what we see here, Jesus broke it and gave it to them. Wherever they are and whenever they gather. It is the new meal fellowship. It is not only the new Passover meal, but it is the meal of resurrection of the dawn of a new creation, right? It is the resurrection meal. <laughs> it is the meal that is eaten on the first day of the week. It is the meal that inaugurates something new is happening in Christ Jesus. The opened eyes of the Emmaus disciples are the first expression of the new creation that recognizes that the image of God is now restored through the crucified and risen Christ. This theme that Luke has been building towards provides a clear transition from the old creation to the new creation in Christ Jesus, the renewed creation that Jesus is, is bringing into existence. And what Peter marveled at at the end of our, uh, of our text last week, that he marveled that the resurrection just might be true. He marvels that Jesus' words, all that he spoke to them, might be more than he ever imagined. He marveled that Jesus is risen, and if Jesus is risen, then something new and glorious is happening. What he marveled at and wondered with at hope, these disciples now know for sure their hearts burned within them. That in Christ's resurrection, in his opening the scriptures to them, in his breaking the bread and giving it to him, the world was made new. They were made new. Nothing was the way it was ever before, and it won't be that way ever again. So this meal at Emmaus, is the first meal in the new era begun with Christ's resurrection. This meal takes place on the first day of the week, the start of God's new work of new creation in Christ. When he rose from the dead, Jesus began the work of making all things new. And he instituted a meal connected to his word to remind us again and again and again that new life in Christ, the new creation has come. And on the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, there is a new hope, a new way, a new life, a new meal to strengthen us for what is to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful. And when opened up to us, Lord, 
reveals to us things that we have never seen or heard or known before. That our hearts burn within us with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, in the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, Lord, we see Jesus. Just as those first disciples Lord, it is a reminder to us over and over and over again that you are not dead but alive. That your death was followed by your resurrection. And nothing is the way that it was. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your Spirit. to not have slow hearts, but burning hearts. Burning hearts, Lord God, that seek to follow you in the work of this new creation. Lord, may we, your church, follow in the way of this, these first disciples. marveling what you and our Savior, Lord Jesus, have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to reading.